Well, good morning, everyone. Listen, man, it took us till service number five, but we are finally having church up in this place on Easter Sunday. It is so good to have you all in the room. Listen, the Bible says very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb and they said, he is not here. He is risen, but only the crowd that went very early saw him. So don't tell the rest of them this, but you were the only service that would have seen Jesus on Easter Sunday. The rest of them would have slept in too late, but you would have gotten a glimpse of Jesus. And my hope is that today you will get a glimpse of Jesus. Man, it is so good to be with people this Easter. Y'all remember last Easter? I was in a room with less than 10 people, a couple cameramen. We were digitally kind of booming the sermon out all over the city. We were sitting in homes, some of us together, some of us alone. But man, it's so good to be with spiritual family. Jesus, six hours before he was arrested on Good Friday, 15 hours before he would be crucified, as soon as he raised from the dead, he had the same request. He wanted to be with his spiritual family, wanted to have a meal with spiritual family, wanted to pray with spiritual family, wanted to celebrate with spiritual family. So I think Easter's a time that feels right when you are with spiritual family. So it's so good to be with you all today. If you have your Bibles, I want to take you 2,000 years in the past to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I want to overhear a conversation that Jesus has with the Apostle Peter in John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. Everything that I read from Scripture will be on the screen beside me, so it'll be really easy to follow along. For those of you really new to maybe church, maybe new to Christianity, um, the Bible's really not a book. Um, the word Bible in the English language comes from the Latin word Biblia that means library. The Bible is really a library of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 different years. And all of these letters and books were written to help explain the nature of a creator God that created the heavens and the earth and humanity so he could have a relationship with them. And it shows how God responded when humanity kind of got in the way and messed up all those things with Mother Nature and each other, just the way we, we broke the world in how God responded. One of the last books written of all the 66 in this is the letter we're reading today um, from one of Jesus' friends. His name was John. And this is an interesting book because John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and the other 11 had all died probably 30 years before John, something up to 50 years before John. John was pastoring a church in modern-day Turkey, and there were lots of letters and books about Jesus and his ministry and his life and his teachings that were kind of floating around. And John, late in his life, in his late 70s, maybe his mid-80s, said there's some things that have been left out. So he wrote a letter to his church talking about his experiences with his friend Jesus. And almost everything in his book isn't found anyplace else because he wanted people to know his friend Jesus and the things that had been left out of, uh, of the other books and the ministries about Jesus and we read some encounters that Jesus had with people in John's letter that we don't read anywhere else in the Bible. One of those in John 21 is one that I have some interest in. I don't know about you. I have some questions for God. Anyone else have some questions for God? Like if you could sit down with God for an hour, anybody else got some questions for God? I got some questions for God. And one of my questions for God is this. How come there's so little written about the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter and the ascension of Jesus? Like how come... There's not more written about what Jesus did, said, taught, who he hung out with. Like, could you give me a 40-day journal on everything Jesus did from Easter Sunday until he ascended? Because that might just help reinforce my belief in the resurrected Christ in the ministry that he did. There's not a ton written on that. But one of the most detailed conversations that Jesus had in that time frame is in John 21 on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I think the shores of the Sea of Galilee 
is a great place for us to start Easter 2021. Because the Sea of Galilee is a beautiful and an interesting place. Um, The Sea of Galilee is one of the only places on planet Earth where 60 seconds before sunrise, it is pitch black. And 60 seconds after sunrise, it is broad daylight. Because the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, which means it doesn't catch the sun coming up on the horizon. And the eastern rim of the Sea of Galilee has the mountain range called the Golan Heights, kind of right on the edge of them. So... It can literally in 60 seconds go from pitch black to broad daylight. We took this picture a few years ago on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, right as the sun began to peek over the mountain. The Sea of Galilee, one of the few places in the world that doesn't light slowly, it lights instantly. Darkness, light like that. And my hope is that for those of you who have been living through a pretty dark year, and it's been a pretty dark year, My prayer for you, my hope for you, what I believe for you is that if you will meet Jesus or meet Jesus again on Resurrection Sunday, your darkness in a moment can turn to light as you have a conversation with Jesus about your heart and your soul. What we're going to hear Jesus talk with Peter about today in John 21 is a conversation that asks this question. It's a question I want you to answer this morning. How are you doing spiritually? At the end of a pretty dark, hard, difficult year, some of us still right in the middle of it, how are you doing spiritually? That's the question that Jesus is going to ask Peter. Peter, check your heart. How's your soul? How are things going spiritually? If you honestly think about that and answer that question before you leave this morning, we have had a successful Easter Sunday. How are you doing spiritually? That's the question we want to try to have you answer today as we read this conversation. Before we ever read scripture at our church, we always stop and pray. So would you pray with me just real quick? Bow your heads, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Even if you're not a praying person, think these thoughts to heaven in case God is listening. Just say, speak, Lord, and I'll be listening. If you're not a follower of Jesus, not a religious person, not a spiritual person, you might pray this, God, if you're real. Speak to my heart. God, that's our prayer, that on this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus would have a conversation with us. We're going to try to listen. God, if there's anyone here who hasn't experienced the ministry of Jesus in their lives, invite them to come to a relationship with Jesus this Easter. If there are Christians here who have found themselves distant after a pretty hard year, a dark year, God, turn the light on in an instant. Invite them to come back to Jesus. And for all of us who call Jesus our Savior, help us to come back to the mission that Jesus and Peter are going to talk about today of serving and loving the world well. We love you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. John chapter 21 starts with Jesus before dawn on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, talking to some fishermen who are out there telling them, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They couldn't see Jesus. They didn't recognize his voice at first, but as their nets began to fill up with fish, one of the disciples said that could only be Jesus, and sure enough, it was. They rode into the shore. They had breakfast together, and then as day, as night turned today, Danielle took this picture several years ago doing her devotions on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is just right after the sun has come up. I mean, daytime comes immediately. As night turned today, Jesus and Peter walk along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they have this conversation. Here's what we read in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, let's stop right there. Simon, Simon was Simon's first name. Peter was not his middle name. Simon was the name his mom and dad gave him when he was born. Peter was the nickname 
that Jesus gave him as one of his spiritual leaders. The word Peter in the Greek language is the word rock. If you have seen any of the Rocky movies, Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, like there's 10 or 11 of them now, um, you might hear Mick the trainer in your mind saying, hey, rock, that's probably what Jesus would have called Peter. When he referred to Peter as they were hanging out, he would probably say, hey, rock, rock, Rocky. That, that like would have been his spiritual nickname. And Jesus goes back and forth between calling Simon Peter Simon or Peter based on how he's doing spiritually. When he's acting like the person he was before he met Jesus, he refers to him as Simon. It is, it is like a statement of, come on, get it together. When he calls him Rock or Rocky or Peter, he's basically saying, man, you are locked in spiritually. If as a follower of Jesus, Jesus gave you a nickname when you became a follower of Jesus, and you have one name that Jesus calls you when you are locked in spiritually, and another name that Jesus calls you when you were a little distant, and he met you in the parking lot this morning, which name would he have used? Would he have called you the nickname that says, I know you're on mission, you're locked in? Or would he simply by speaking the name that was you before Jesus changed your life let you know you need to get it together? He called Simon Peter, Simon, which automatically let Simon know he wasn't doing great spiritually. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is a really interesting conversation. I call this one of the most confusing, convicting, encouraging, hopeful conversations that Jesus ever has with anyone. We're going to start today, if you're taking notes, by looking at this conversation. Confusing, convicting, encouraging, but super, super hopeful. You say, why is it a confusing conversation? Because we're reading it in English. We're not reading it in the language it was spoken in. We're not even reading it in the original language that it was written in. We're reading it in our language and in English. Kind of a weird conversation. It looks like Jesus asked the same three questions. Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it looks like Simon gives the same three answers. Yep, sure do love you. Yep, sure do love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. This is the point if you're not really familiar with Jesus where you say, did this Jesus guy have a little OCD? Like it, like it appears um, like, what's going on here? Three questions, three answers, like is raising from the dead, like raising from a scuba dive, like if you come too fast, like your ears don't work anymore, like why, why, why three questions, three answers, and then really no explanation in between. This is a confusing conversation. It is in English, but you need to understand it wasn't spoken in English or written in English. It was written in Greek, probably spoken in Aramaic, and Jesus and Peter were using different Greek words for love with radically different meanings, which takes a confusing conversation, and it makes it a convicting conversation. Because when you understand what they were saying to each other, you're like, ooh, that's, that's a sensitive conversation. The problem is in the word love. The English language, if you've ever studied languages, the English language is one of the most simple 
and poor word languages in the history of language. You say, what do you mean by that? In the English language, we use the same word. We just spell it different ways, and it means different things. And sometimes we use the same word for things that, that really don't mean the same thing. And one of those is love. Um, like, I, I love my dog, Rudy. I love tacos, and I love my wife. And you're like, the same? And I would say, like, it depends on where the tacos are from. But not, but not usually, not like... <laughs> Not usually, not usually the same, but that's the only word I have. Like I speak English and that's the word they've given me to like convey that something like is important to me. The Greeks had a lot of different words for love. One of the Greeks were Greeks word for love was eros. It meant like a sexual or intimate type of love. We actually get the English word erotic from the Greek word eros, which means a sexual love. One of their words for love was phileo. We have a city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, which is a city of brotherly love. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a friendship type of love. We also have an English word for phileo. But then there was this Greek word that Jesus was using that we've not been able to translate neither into English or Western civilization because it was the word agape. And the Greek word agape meant unconditional and total love. It was a love you couldn't earn. It was a love you didn't deserve. It was a love you couldn't lose. It was all in it was a word in history, when you study the history of this word, that basically they, they had to kind of create and use this word to describe how Jesus loved people who followed him and how people who followed Jesus loved each other. Like this was a word that only applied to them. But this concept is so foreign, that somebody would love you unconditionally and totally and that you could love someone unconditionally. It's so foreign to Western civilization, didn't even make it into the English language. Like there are no English words that have this in the middle that mean total or unconditional love because we are not good at accepting unconditional love. We like to earn our love and we are not good at giving unconditional love. We like to make people earn our love. So it doesn't fit well in our context. But this is the word that Jesus is using as he asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter's using a different Greek word. Every time he answers, he uses the word phileo, which means brotherly love, friendship love, liking someone. Fellas, if you have the conversation with your wife that Jesus had with Peter in John chapter 21, you're in trouble. Like if your wife comes home and is like, baby, do you love me? And you're like, like I, I mean, I like you. You're certainly in the top half of my friends. Like you're in trouble. Like if, if that's your answer, you're in trouble. If your wife comes home and shows you her new Easter outfit, and she's like, do you love my Easter outfit? And you're like, mm, it's all right. Like, it's all right. It's all right. It's, all right. it's not bad. Like, you're going to sleep on the couch. Like, that is not the answer to the question, are you really into this? Do you really, do you totally love this? You're like, yeah, it's all right. That, like, wrong answer. And that's the conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, which makes this confusing conversation convicting. In the Greek language, Jesus actually asked this three different questions. It's hard to see in the English. First question, do you agape me? Do you totally and unconditionally love me more than the other disciples, more than fishing? Jesus said it this way, do you truly love me more than these? These could have only meant two things, six other disciples or 153 fish. Jesus was referring to one of those. Jesus was saying, do you totally and unconditionally love me more than anyone or more than anything? And Peter said, no. No, I cannot say that I love you that way. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than anyone or anything? And Peter's like, I really like you. Wrong answer. 
So Jesus drops the more than these, and he says the second time, do you, do you agape me at all? I know you don't love me more than anyone, and it's clear you don't love me more than anything, but do you love me at all? And Peter said, no. I, I, I really like you. Jesus changes his question the third time. It hurts Peter's feelings. Third time, Jesus used Peter's word. He said, do you even phileo me? I know you don't love me more than anyone or anything. I know you don't totally and unconditionally love me. You're saying you like me. Do you even like me? And it said the third time when Jesus asked that question, it hurt Peter's feelings. And Peter's answer is interesting. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. There's some part of the story that we're missing because Peter said, as much as I want to answer yes to all these questions, you know some things about me that would make me a liar if I did. Because of what you know, I mean, yes, I want to live in relationship with you. I want to have a a relationship with you. Yes, I like you, but what you know about me makes you know that I can't return the love that you're giving me. He said, what did the Lord know about Peter? Well, about 10 days prior to this, Peter had made this huge boast. He actually said, it's why Jesus asked him the question, Jesus, I will love you more than anyone or anything. He said, man, I feel like Jesus was being a little harsh. He was just using Peter's words. About a week and a half before this, Peter's like, I'm, I will love you more than anyone or anything. And Jesus is like, did you back that up? He said, no. And then he failed. When he was with his church friends, he was like, I love Jesus more than anyone or anything. And then he got away from his church friends. And he ended up at a gathering with some people who weren't his religious circle. And people were like, hey, are you a Jesus follower? And he's like, nope, three times. The last time he was like, I've never even heard of the guy. He boasted big. He failed bad, not realizing that Jesus heard that statement too. You've been talking about someone and found out they're right behind you. Very uncomfortable, especially when it's Jesus. Like, you know him? I don't even know who he is. Like, oh, shoot, he's right there. He's always there, by the way, for those of you who are followers of Jesus. And then he quit. He had given up a life of fishing to be in ministry, to love Jesus and serve people. And now he was fishing again. He had boasted big, he'd failed bad. And then he had kind of quit. And Jesus knew all this. And here's Jesus saying, all right, you want to put your money where your mouth is. Do you really love me more than anything? Do you love me at all? Do you really like me? And the apostle Peter basically said this, Jesus, you know how much I have failed spiritually. But if you are still willing to have me, yes, of course, I like you. I care about you. I desire to be in a relationship with you. This is where the discussion for us becomes very encouraging because here's what we learn. Peter's relationship with Jesus wasn't based on his love for Jesus. It was based on Jesus' love for him. Peter, are you going to be able to love me like I love you? No. And you know that. But if you are still willing to love me, I'm in. I will do my very best. It will be way worse than you have done for me. But if you are willing to love me, I am in spiritually. One of my favorite spots in, in, the, in the country of Israel is right outside the old city of Jerusalem. It's a church that's named after Peter, but I don't know why. Because Peter didn't do anything good there. As a matter of fact, it's the scene of his worst spiritual moment. There's a church right outside the old city of Jerusalem called St. Peter Galicantu. It's dedicated to the Apostle Peter, and it's one of the most historically accurate places in all of Israel. If you go to Israel, Israel has memorials, and then they have like historical places, much like Washington, D.C. If you go to Washington, D.C., you'll go to the Lincoln Monument dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. Not sure that he really did anything there. If you drive a few hundred miles, you can go to Gettysburg. That is the battlefield where the, the, the Battle of Gettysburg took place. One, of, one is a memorial, one is historical. 
St. Peter Gallicantu is built over the high priest home that Jesus would have been held in prison in on the night he was arrested. The courtyard would have been the place unearthed to first century levels where Peter would have said, I don't know who Jesus is. And that church is dedicated not to Peter's success, but to his failure. So they've got a statue when you walk up to the church that has the apostle Peter talking to these three different people to, to whom he said, I don't know who Jesus is. Actually engraved on the bottom of the statue in Latin is this phrase, non novi illum from the book of Luke. This is, I don't know the man. Like around his church friends, I love Jesus. When he got around the world, they're like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And he's like, God strike me dead if I'm lying. I don't even know who he is. And Jesus is right there listening. On top of his statue, a rooster, because Jesus said, you're going to get so far away from me, something's going to have to snap you back into reality. So when you hear the rooster crowing, you're going to realize you've had a really long, dark, bad night spiritually, and you're going to kind of be snapped back into reality. So can you imagine your life and the symbol of your life being your greatest statement you wish you never would have made, that text you wish you could take back, that social media post you wish you had never published for the world to see, that thing you said to your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or your friend or your boss. Can you imagine if your life was remembered by your very worst statements and by symbols of your failure? Here's how the world needs to know you, by the very worst of the worst that you've done. Here's Jesus saying, Peter, are you in? And Peter's like, I've said so many things that I shouldn't have said. I've done so many things that I shouldn't have done. God, my life is basically a symbol of unfaithfulness. And Jesus said, that's okay. My symbol's bigger than your symbol. And we can take all the statements you wish you would have never made. And we can take all the symbols of your failure and all the consequences of your failure. We can take all of those and we can put them on my cross. And you can be forgiven. And you can be loved. You don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't lose it. I just want you to follow me. This is the call and the cry of Easter. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I don't love you like you love me. But if you will have me, yes, I need your love. See, this is where this conversation becomes extremely hopeful because Jesus knew all of Peter's failures. He knew all of Peter's inability to return his unconditional love, yet he loved him anyway, and he called him to follow him. This is the message of Easter. If you're here today and you say, I would love to live in relationship and be loved by Jesus, but I, I don't think I can be who Jesus wants me to be, and I certainly don't deserve how Jesus would love me. You don't have to earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't lose it, but you can accept it. You can receive it and you can follow Jesus. That is the call of Easter. So this conversation that we get to overhear becomes a call. And the call is, Peter, I want you to follow me. Now, this was not the first time this conversation happened in this exact way. And as a matter of fact, John 21 for Peter has to be a flashback. Like Yogi Berra said, he had to feel like he was experiencing deja vu all over again. Like it, like it was like, I've been here. I've been on this lake with this man being asked to follow him. Three years earlier, we read an account of Jesus when he first started his ministry. He's having Bible study on the Sea of Galilee. The sea is to his back. He's kind of on the shoreline. People are sitting on the bank. And as the crowd grows, not everyone can see and hear Jesus. So he turns around and there's a fisherman named Peter cleaning the, the boat that he's in and the nets that he's using. And he turns around and says, can I use your boat to teach my Bible study? And Peter's like, sure. So he gets in and he says, push back. So Peter rows back a little bit. Jesus teaches his Bible study. 
He dismisses him, and then he begins to make small talk with Peter. How's the fishing going? Peter's like, it's awful. And Jesus is like, maybe you should try one more time. Peter's like, listen, you're the Bible teacher. I'm the fisherman. Why don't you leave the fishing to me? And Jesus is like, why don't you just try? Just try one. Just throw your nets over there. Try one more time. And as he threw his nets and they filled up with fish, he just got done listening to this man talk about the kingdom of God coming. He listened to this man talk about the supernatural works that he would do. And now he's experiencing one of them. And as a humble, sinful fisherman, Peter, three years before John 21, has this encounter with Jesus. And he says, you got to leave me. When Simon Peter saw what Jesus had done, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, you got to go away, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He was this humble fisherman that said, I, like, I don't deserve your love. I, th- I, think you're, I think you're asking the wrong guy to help you. He and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. James and John, both astonished, they were his fishing partners. But Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. I know you, and I know you're a sinful man, and I know what you've done. But God has sent me with a mission for the world, and I think if you will accept my love, you can help me in that mission for the world. So let's go fishing together. Let's go change the world. Let's go help people who are hurting. Let's go tell people who are looking for hope that there's hope. Let's go together and change the world. And Peter's like, I'm in. And three years later, this humble fisherman has become a very prideful spiritual leader. And Jesus has eaten the Last Supper with his disciples. And at the end of dinner, he says, all right, listen, guys, a couple hours, I'm going to be arrested. Tomorrow morning, they're going to kill me. And it's going to freak all of you out so bad that you're like, you're all going to run, you're all going to run away. No one's going to be there for me. But in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then I'm going to meet you in Galilee, and we'll talk about it there. And as Jesus is kind of unpacking this holy moment spiritually, Peter interrupts him, because this is what Peter does. He interrupts, and he's like, I, I'm sure they will all fall away, but I will not. Picture the scene. Jesus is like, guys, it's going to be a bad night. It's going to be a bad night for me, bad night for you. It's going to be a hard night for me, and you're all going to run away and leave me. Peter gets up from his spot at the table. He goes and puts his arm around Jesus and shakes his head at the rest of the disciples and said, y'all are going to leave him, cowards. Like, Jesus, I always knew they would all fail, but it's okay because we'll be here for them when they come back. Like, Do you have friends like that who think they sit on Jesus' side of the table instead of like the Christian side of the table? They're so annoying. Like God can barely use them. Jesus, these people are so disappointing. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to go first and yours is going to be the, like yours is going to be the worst. Like you're so prideful. Remember when you were humble and you're like, God, I don't think I should even be used by you. Here you are now saying, I'm better than every other follower of Jesus that exists on planet earth. This humble fisherman who'd become a prideful spiritual leader who'd had this terrible fall from grace was now talking to Jesus again. And Jesus is like, okay, you were humble and now you have been humbled and I still think I can use you. What's interesting, we we actually learned some really interesting things from this. A call of Jesus to Peter in John 21 reminded Peter that his walk with Jesus wasn't just about himself. The mission of Jesus is not just about you and Jesus. It's always about Jesus working through you for others. So as he gets back to this humbled fisherman, he's like, yes, I want you to follow me, but here's why. I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to take care of my sheep. I need you to to feed my sheep. Lambs would be kind of young spiritual believers. He would tell Peter, you've spent three years with me. You can help people who are just starting with me. Sheep would be more mature spiritual believers. Jesus would say, you need to spend time strengthening other people like you, but feed my sheep. He said, I think you have something now that you have failed that will be great nourishment 
for other people when they fail. See, there's a couple things to learn from John 21 about the call of Jesus. One is this. Spiritual failure is a great ministry tool. Spiritual failure is a great ministry tool because Jesus said, I can't use the prideful leader who sits on my side of the table instead of theirs. But once you have failed and returned, you're going to be a pretty powerful tool for me spiritually. In Luke chapter 22, in Luke's account of the Last Supper, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. Let's see the picture of that. Jesus says, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. How do you sift wheat? You take a stalk of wheat, you break it in half, and then you dump out all the contents into a net. You take that net, you throw it up in the wind, all the chaff blows away, the wheat that's a little heavier falls back in. Jesus was saying, Satan has asked to break you in two and to pour you out and see if there is any spiritual substance in your soul. At that moment, if I was Peter, I'd have been like, well, you told him no, right? Like, <laughs> like you're not going to allow that to happen, right? Jesus didn't say that. He just said, I'll be praying for you. Hey, just a heads up, there's going to be some times in your life where the goal of Satan is to break you in half, pour you out, see if there's any spiritual substance in you. And Jesus says, once you figure out that there is, oh man, you're going to be ready to be used. Simon, I'm praying that your faith won't fail. He didn't say, I'm praying you won't fail. He knew he was going to fail. But he said, when you fail, your faith doesn't have to. I'm going to Pray that your faith doesn't fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter's greatest days of ministry would be after he had come through spiritual failure. And some of you think your ministry days are over because it's been a hard year of spiritual failure. I want to tell you, I think the Easter message says they're just beginning. So spiritual failure can be a powerful ministry tool in the hands of Jesus. What else do we learn? Sometimes Christians get stuck. This has been a year for a lot of Christians to get stuck spiritually. Did y'all read about that big boat that got stuck last week in the Suez Canal, the, the evergreen, the largest shipping container literally in the world? This boat that is longer than the Empire State Building is tall, which means if you went to New York City and pushed over the Empire State Building and it landed beside the boat, the boat would be bigger than the building, laying down 1,400 feet. It had on the day that it got stuck 18,000 tractor-trailer like containers stacked on it. Can you imagine a boat that holds 18,000 semi-tractor trailers on it at one time? So what's the story of this boat? It's a boat that hauls cargo back and forth from Asia to Europe, and because it wants to save 10,000 miles every time it takes a trip, it cuts through the Suez Canal that kind of moves between Africa and the Middle East instead of going all the way around Africa. And if you heard the story, about 21 minutes into a 13-hour, 123-mile journey, the boat lost engine power for less than 60 seconds. It wasn't able to move forward. And when it quit moving forward, because there was a sandstorm with 40-mile-per-hour winds blowing, the boat was so big, it was just like a floating wall. It got blown in to the sand and stuck for more than a week. A million barrels of oil a day shipped through the Suez Canal, stopped for a week. Can you imagine paying for gas in Europe right now? Dear God, that would be awful. Um, 369 ships were backed up waiting in line for a week to go through the Suez Canal on either side of it. $10 billion in global commerce that was just sitting in ports waiting for one boat to get unstuck. And there it sat for more than a week just blocking the entire canal until they could dig it out. 
Sometimes Christians get stuck. In 2020 and 2021 was a year that some Christians got stuck. It's interesting. When you quit moving forward spiritually, when you pause for even a minute, when you shut the motor down spiritually for even a minute, and the winds and storms of life blow, by the way, Jesus said that would happen. He said the storms would blow in your life. He said the winds would beat against your boat. He said the rains would fall. And he said, man, if you are not like locked in pursuing Jesus, you are going to fall on the sand and get stuck in the sand. And there are some Christians whose faith has been sandbarred in 2020. You shut down the engines for just a minute to weather the quarantine season, and you've not been able to get going again. You say, what is the message of Easter? The message to Peter was, get back on mission. See, one thing that happens when our faith gets sandbarred is we believe it's all about us and we forget that it's about other people. And we think that the mission of Jesus is just listening to the message of Jesus. That has happened in every generation. I saw it happen in 2020 a lot. People thought, as long as I watch the messages online, I am on mission with Jesus. That is not the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is not accomplished with your ears. It's accomplished with your hands. It's accomplished with your feet. It's accomplished with your heart. It's accomplished with your mouth. And every generation has to choose whether or not Christianity for them is going to be a message or a mission. One of the greatest pastors in the history of America, a great revivalist, was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody pastored in Chicago. He started the Moody Church that you could go to this morning. He started the Moody Bible Institute that we send teenagers to to go get their ministry training. He died on almost the last day of the 19th century, December 22, 1899. He was one of the first pastors in the history of the world to use digital media to expand his ministry. He went on radio. Radio technology they developed during the Civil War, he began to use in the late 1800s. So you could hear D.L. Moody preach all over the world. He became one of the world's most famous preachers. Everyone wanted to hear him speak. And people in Chicago across the street from his church would tune in every Sunday, but they would never come to his church. And he was asked later in his life, like, how does it make your heart feel to know that you had such impact? And does it bother you that people just listened to your sermons but never got engaged in the mission? Is there even a difference? And D.L. Moody had this famous quote. He said, I guess the difference between listening to a radio sermon and going to church is almost like the difference between calling your girl on the phone and spending an evening with her. This was 120 years ago, a pastor saying, we got to be careful not to make the mission of Jesus listening to a message. It's more than that. It's more than that. And we've been in a year where when faith gets sandbarred, for some, for some of us, for some of you watching online, it's all you can do. There's some of you, it's going to be another six months before it's safe for you to return to church. Safe for you, safe for your family, permitted by your job, lots of different reasons. For some people, it's going to take a while. There are others of you, in January of this year, you begin to do everything you always have done in life except come back to church because it's just easier to watch in your pajamas on the couch. That is not the mission of Jesus. And Jesus told Peter, follow me, yes, but here's why. Because there's a lot of other people involved and my mission is always about others. It's not just about you. It's about the other lambs, it's about the other sheep, Share your life, share your hands, share your heart. Love people well. That's the call of Jesus. So Peter had to consider what he's going to do. So do you. Consideration. What, 
what is Jesus calling, to, calling me to and what am I going to do? Peter, I want you to follow me. Peter, I want you to serve me. Yes or no? Peter punted. He didn't answer the question. Hey, Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to serve me. Are you in? And Peter said, not sure yet. What about John? Like, think of this. Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to serve me. Are you in? And he's like, hmm, what about John? And Jesus' mind like had to be blown, right? <laughs> what do you mean, what about John? I love Jesus' answer. He doesn't even answer the question. He's like, that's none of your business. What does John's faith have to do with your call? We're living in a year in 2020, 2021, where people have stopped asking Jesus, what do you want me to do and when do you want me to engage? And they've started looking around and saying, well, what's everybody else doing? What's everybody else going to think? Jesus, I know you want me to, I know what you called me to do and how you've called me to love people, but what's everyone else doing? And Jesus is like, when has that ever entered the equation? You follow me. You follow me. So what's Jesus calling you to today? I, I see three calls. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, he's calling you today to receive his total and unconditional love. That's how much he loves you. He's calling you to give every one of your statements and symbols of failure in your life to him so that he can forgive them, wipe the slate clean, and let you start again. The first call of Jesus is a call to come to Christ if you've not done that yet. The second call of Jesus, if your faith has been sandbarred this year, is to come back. I think the third call of Jesus for those who, and it happens in every generation, for those who believe the mission of Jesus is just listening to the message of Jesus. I think the call is, come on. Come on, it's more than that. Come on back. We need your hands and your feet and your heart to come on back. Jesus is calling. You're considering. What are you going to say? Would you pray with me as we consider those calls today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. Today's conversation taught us this. Being right with God isn't based on your love for Jesus. It's based on Jesus' love for you. He knows your faults and failures. He knows your inability to return his love, but he invites you into relationship anyway. What do you say? If you need Jesus today, come. Come and receive his love. Come and receive his forgiveness. He loves you. He came to live for you. He died on the cross so every symbol and statement of your unfaithfulness could be forgiven so you could start over, so you could be close with him, so you could be right with God and one day live with God forever in an eternity called heaven. If you are not sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, but you want this morning to receive that love, just tell God yes. In a book called Romans, we learn that the way you say yes to Jesus is you believe in your heart, which means in your soul you really feel like God's message is for you and he's telling you, I love you and I'm calling you. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth, you pray that Jesus will indeed be in charge of your life and you'll be saved. If you've never done that, tell Jesus today that you need him. It's a simple, easy prayer. You, if you don't know what to say, you can repeat these words after me. You don't have to pray out loud. God hears the prayers of our hearts. Just repeat something like this after me. If you need Jesus today, just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, forgive my sin. Give me a clean slate. Cleanse me of all my failures. Heal me of all my hurts. Lead me in my future. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. And I commit 
to follow Jesus. I won't always be perfect, but I trust that I'll be forgiven. I receive your love today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. Hearts are still open. If you just prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you. Say, Christian, how are you going to do that? I'm going to ask you in just a second. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, I'm going to ask you if you prayed with me to raise your hand. Everyone else will have their heads bowed and their eyes are closed. Just out of respect for you in this kind of tender spiritual moment. But if you prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you and just ask as you begin your relationship with Jesus that his spirit will fill your soul and your life in a transformational way. Would you allow me to pray with you and for you? If you just prayed with me on the count of three, would you just raise your hand, leave it up in the air for just a second? One, two, three. Right now, if you prayed with me, just raise your hand up. Just leave it up in the air for just a second. There are people in every section, so I'm going to go slow. I'm going to count so you know when I'm done. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for these nine people seated in every section at this sunrise service who say today, I received the the total and unconditional love of Jesus because I need his forgiveness and I want his love. God, I pray that they would feel forgiven. God, I can't explain that, but I've experienced it, so I pray that they would too. I pray they'll literally, as they drive home, feel like the failures of their past have just been lifted off their shoulders and they've been given a clean slate at life. God, I pray that they'll feel your love. Again, I can't explain that, but I I pray as they begin to look at themselves in the mirror that they will see themselves as someone who is deeply loved by God. And God, I pray that they'll feel your presence. Lord, I know that sounds weird for someone who might be brand new spiritually, but Lord, I've experienced it and I pray that Basically, they would feel for the rest of their life moving forward that like God is just like he's just right there He's a part of their everyday life And I pray that and their pursuit of Jesus would begin to transform their lives God, I pray for the Christians in the room whose faith has been sandbarred in 2020 and 2021 Lord mine was for a little bit I stopped moving forward because I didn't know which direction to go and the winds and the storms just beat the tar out of my soul last year. And Lord, it took a lot of tugboats and digging around my heart to get me going again. If anyone in the room is in that position, Lord, use this Easter Sunday to pull them free. And God, for those who have, with good intentions, swung and missed thinking the mission of Jesus is just listening to the message of Jesus, call them back on mission because there are some lambs who need us and some sheep who need us. And there's a world that needs to hear how we got over our spiritual failure so they can learn how to get over theirs. God, that's our prayer. And we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.